the wrong place at the right time. I'm Brad Hicks with Dan Zazvorka. Here I am. <laughs> In this podcast, Dan takes a deeper look at his own wrong place experiences and and he gleans from many of them, uh, many of those experiences, um, unsuspected and surprising outcomes. Um, so sit back, relax, and enjoy Dan's stories and see if you can't relate to how being in the wrong place may have been just the right time in your own life journey. So Dan, over the years, you've, uh, you've talked to me about um, your experiences in Mexico City. Um, I would mm-hmm. love to hear uh, some stories about uh, you being in the wrong place at the right time uh, in Mexico City. Do you have some stories you can share with us about that? Yeah. Um, actually, probably the, the whole time we were in Mexico City was basically wrong place, right time. Uh, although my wife might tell you it was wrong place, wrong time. <laughs> she really had her struggles there, but she still, it was profound and it profoundly changed her life as well. Uh, well I'll just start from the beginning with that, Brad. Um, we were, we had moved from San Diego to Iowa where I was going to seminary. And so uh, I was in seminary and in seminary, one of the things they have you do is an internship. And most of the students will do their internship by going to a church and being, a an assistant pastor for, uh, a year or for two summers. And B, I was already deeply wanting to be connected with the poor, because I had read the scriptures and the Bible talks so much about the poor and Jesus cares for the poor and came to bring good news to the poor. So what what was your age about this time? I was, I would say about 30 years old. So you chose your, you chose your internship to, to, uh, to be in Mexico city. Yeah. Well, um, it wasn't that easy. Uh, we, um, me and Kelly were, praying a lot about it. And I knew I didn't want to just be in regular ministry in church, like a regular pastor. I wanted to either be in missions or to be involved in compassion for the poor or something like that. And Kelly didn't really know much about that. So it's like, I wanted her to experience something like that. So we started praying, what, what can we do? What, 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 what's out there? And you'd be surprised how little there is out there that actually connects you with the poor. <laughs> if you want to do an internship or something as a family, and we could not, we we just couldn't find anything. So I was talking to the guidance counselor at the seminary, and uh, she, uh, we talked a few times, and then I uh, I remember talking to her one time. She said, "Hey, I've been doing some research. I found." This uh, this pastor and his wife uh, who live in Mexico City and are doing this program that's uh, intentional, uh, intentionally living with the poor for a period of time. And I'm like, that sounds that sounds pretty good. And so 
Uh, now, had you ever been to Mexico before then? I had uh, driven. I had been to Mexico because I lived in San Diego and would go across the border to Tijuana as a kid. Uh, also had gone through Mexico, uh, took a few trips with my family in Mexico and gone through Mexico to get to Guatemala, but I really hadn't lived in Mexico at all. But uh, so turns out we got in contact with these people that were down in Mexico City and it was my wife and I and I had we had two daughters. Their ages were four and six. And uh, they said, come on down and you can and we decided we'll go down there and do the program for a year. And me back this, you got to know that. For me, I'm, I'm I was very radical in many ways back then. I, and did you have did you have some kids at the time? It, well, just said that bad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> um, anyway, I was uh, somewhat pretty radical at the time, and I I told Kelly I think for us it would be better to not just fly down and be have the huge culture shock. But to actually get on a train at the border of Mexico, uh, where this town of Mexicali is at the border, and take the train down to Mexico City, because it will help us kind of acclimate to the culture as we go down. At least that was my thought. Did you just say acclimate? I did. I don't know if that's what you meant. Acclimate. <laughs> acclimate. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. Acclimate. Um, so we. Uh, Went to uh, Mexicali. I think some friends brought us and dropped us off and uh, crossed the border. And we got on the train. Uh, and they have the these old Pullman tra- car trains that they bought. I'm sure they bought from the United States or something that have all the, uh, the they have the rooms with the little bunks. The, they're very old cars, but they have every all the signs are in English. So they must have been in the United States before they were in Mexico. And we got a, a, a sleeper car that had a couple bunks and we put all our stuff in there to go down to Mexico city. And we got in there and we started out and I love the train is like my favorite way to travel. I, I, mm. oh, I love the train because especially in Mexico, you can go in between the cars and they'll have the windows open and you can just stand there leaning out in the open air and uh, just see the desert and the towns that you go through. And, and this was from Mexicali? Down to Guadalajara, to Guadalajara was the first stage. Okay. And so we're, we're, go, uh, we're on there and unfortunately it is super hot. I mean, this is like in the beginning of summer or in July, I think, and it was so hot, and we were we were not prepared for the heat, and we were in a, and we were a little nervous about the whole thing. So we're in our little sleeper car, and our kids were doing fine. They would play and look at play with the you know Hannah. I remember her playing in the mirror with her imaginary friend. I think her, she had an imaginary friend at the time named Linda, and she would play for hours with Linda. And Jamie was doing fine, but we were getting so hot and, and we had water, but it was warm. And so we're going down through the desert and we stop in this village or this town. And I say to Kelly, I'm going to go get us some soft drinks 
some cold drinks and some some ice cream or something cold because it's so hot in there. So I go out of the train and I get down and I go to uh, a store right there. And um, I'm in the store looking for some cold sodas to buy. And the train starts going, starts leaving. About to leave you. <laughs> yeah. And, and Kelly's like, she's like looking out the window and she's like, oh, no, I'm going to be abandoned on a train in Mexico. And she knew no Spanish. She knew nothing about Mexico. And I'm like, I, I hear it. I look out the door of the store and I see it going. And I run out of the store and I'm running full speed to and I'm running after the train. And sure enough, I catch one of the uh, bars that you can get in the doorway and I catch the train. But (laughs) Kelly has no idea. She thinks I was like left behind and she's like starting to panic and figure out what is she going to do with two two little girls. But uh, I make my way back to the room and she's so, so you jumped on the like, like, like in the like in, like I, in I the movies. In the movie. yeah, it was right. totally like the movies. Right. I was running alongside. <laughs> I grabbed the bar and I jumped out the train. And it was just just. However, I did not get any cold drinks. So that you, was. Uh, you still didn't get. Cold I drinks. still didn't get cold drinks. And anyway, uh, so the train took about. Uh, I'd say it take it took about. 15, 16, maybe 20 hours to get to Guadalajara. Wow. Yeah, it was a long, long ride. It it was scheduled two days to get to Mexico City. And we got to Guadalajara, and they told us the train is not going to go to Mexico City. We were like, what? And we had bought tickets to Mexico Mm -hmm. City, and they're like, nope, the train, there's problems. The train is no longer going to Mexico City. You have to go some other way. And we had all this stuff that we were carrying to, because we were going to live there for a year. For a year, right. And so we had all this stuff. And we got off the train, and it was late at night. And we had no idea what to do in Guadalajara. We were just – I was feeling so tired because I was trying to take care of my family and navigate the in Mexico. And uh, Yeah, and at, at this time in your life, how – how fluent were you in Spanish? I was okay in Spanish. I wasn't very fluent in Spanish, mm-hmm. actually. I had had it in high school. I had spent a summer in Guatemala, but really uh, my Spanish was not very good. Mm-hmm. So all and in Guadalajara, we had all our stuff and all these little kids get paid to carry your stuff and they wanted to carry our stuff. And I just said, I didn't know what we were doing. And no, no. Actually, something very miraculous happened. I was didn't know what we were going to do. And a, a man came up to us. And I, to this day, will think this man was an angel. Because yeah, sure. he uh, came up to us and he says, you're going to need to take a bus to Mexico City. Let me, you, let's share a, a taxi. I'll take you to the bus station. And so he walked with us. He, he got us into the taxi he got into the taxi with us. I don't know how we all fit in there because <laughs> we had a lot of stuff. And uh, the taxi took us across Guadalajara in the nighttime to the bus station. And then we were – and if you've ever been in Mexico, bus stations are like airports in the United States. Mm-hmm. They are huge. 
and in Guadalajara, they have a huge bus station. They have so many lines of buses. Actually, their buses are far better than anything in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, they just, that's how they travel. They don't, they don't travel that much. Nowadays, they use the airport more, but buses are the big thing in Mexico. He took us to the bus station, and we think he's just taking us there and dropping us there. And I didn't know what bus to get or how to get to Mexico City. But what he did was he actually went up to the window, got tickets uh, for our bus to Mexico City, and came back and gave us tickets on the bus, and we paid him for the tickets. And he took us and set us down in front of the bus that was going to Mexico City. And then he left, and it was just like, oh my gosh, it was, it was so needed by us because we were at the end of our rope, even just traveling for 20 hours on the train. Yeah, I bet this sound, it sounds miraculous. It, it was this guy coming in, in your lives. And... It was great, and so then we got on the bus and headed to and got to Mexico City. Um, we had a, an address of the place we were going. And so when we got to Mexico City, we got a taxi and we ended up at the house of Frank and Judy, were the name of uh, the people. They had a daughter, Christine, uh, and they lived in uh, the, the neighborhood of the, it's called El Ajusco. It's kind of this neighborhood in the southwest uh, of Mexico City. And it's the neighbor, it's a neighborhood that was growing uh, up the the into the mountains. Mexico City is this huge basin formed by volcanoes, and in the basin used to be a lake. And Mexico City basically was built on a lake. Uh, the Aztecs originally had these floating temples and, and and cities on the lake, and over time the that everything sank down and filled the lake, and the Mexico City was built on top of a lake. Mm. And so this is huge basin. And it's surrounded by mountains and volcanoes with pine trees very high up. We, uh, so we got there with the family and, and uh, they decided, uh, uh, we had known this, uh, that we needed to learn Spanish. And they said, well, we have a language school for you to go to, but it's in a town called Cuernavaca, about an hour and a half from Mexico City. So we all got, they put us uh, next few days, we got on the bus, went to Cuernavaca, and started language school. We lived with a, a Mexican family in their house, and so we were speaking Spanish 24-7. Uh, hmm. uh, Just you and Kelly. Me, Kelly, and the, my daughters. And the daughters. Jamie they, and Hannah. They were learning Spanish, too. Uh, they they were learning Spanish because they were with us, but uh, we would go uh, – we found a – a babysitter for them during the during the time we were in uh, language school and we were going to language school probably six hours a day learning intensive Spanish uh, that didn't work out so well for Kelly because she was always worried about our daughters and the babysitter was not a great <laughs> turned out to be not a great babysitter and so Kelly after a few weeks maybe three weeks of language school. She quit the language school and, and just started learning from the woman of the house where we lived, who would take her to the market and teach her words for food and different things. And uh, 
and I continued on with the language school. And we were there for a couple couple months. And after language school, we were going to move back to Mexico City and actually move into a neighborhood that was very poor. Um, it was a squatter's neighborhood. And the way this works in Mexico City is that a lot of people from the countryside and farms and all around Mexico come to Mexico City looking for work. And a lot of them are desperately poor. And there were a lot of poor people. This was back in 1987 in Mexico City. And so the poor, a lot of these poor people will get together in these groups of 50 to 100 to 200 people, maybe more, and they will invade some land that's either public land or government land or belongs to some rich person. And the only land available was the National Forest, which was on the upper edge of these, these mountains surrounding Mexico City. So it's probably a thousand feet above Mexico City was this neighborhood that we were going to be a part of. And the poor had invaded the land. Now, when you say invade the land, explain that. What do you mean by that? They, they, they get a bunch of uh, materials together, like cardboard and raw bricks and pieces of wood, and they'll just go onto a piece of land like National Forest, and they'll start building, uh, oh, sectioning mean? it off and building houses. As so to live. To live. They have nowhere to live. So, so they just build houses out so of whatever materials whatever they have. Whatever materials they have or yeah. whatever materials are on the land. Mm -hmm. And so they invade the land, and then the government will usually uh, send the army in and kick them off the land and beat them up burn their houses, whatever they put together, and kick them off. But the poor, um, one thing we learned in Mexico City is the poor are very persistent. They have nowhere to go but down, so they they are very persistent, and they are not deterred by this. And, and as soon as the army leaves, they reinvade the land. They'll go back on. They'll start building again. And this is a cycle that happens uh, a lot in Mexico City and in other parts of Mexico. And this will go on for maybe five, six years where the army will go in, kick them off. They'll go back in after the army leaves. And this, and the neighborhood that we moved into was kind of at the end part of that. The army was no longer coming in to kick them off. It still belonged to the government and the government did not recognize the neighborhood but it was a neighborhood uh, of people that were fairly well established and the government had given up on kicking them off the land. So it, it wasn't a recognized town or city or village at all. It, it was, was just a, a... Yeah, it would be a neighborhood and, and the neighborhood we uh, moved into was called Bosques and that's what the people would call it, Bosques. But the, go the government as of yet had not recognized it, however, there were a few uh, uh, electrical poles moving, uh, built through the neighborhood. So there was electric lines, even though nobody in the neighborhood had electricity. And the government would provide water. In uh, They would have a truck that would come into the neighborhood once or twice a week and fill up 50-gallon barrels. You'd have to get your own barrel and you'd have to paint it the same color as everybody else's. Each block 
had their own barrels and, or each section of the neighborhood, and they painted them their color. And the truck would come and fill it up, fill up these barrels once. Ours, I think, was like once a week, with they'd fill it up with water. And then you would carry the water or siphon the water. We were This was a very steep hill that the neighborhood was built on. And they would, a lot of people would carry the water. I, I, if you lived above the barrels... You would carry the water, and not many people did that. We were – anyway, That I'm kind of getting ahead, so let me jump back. Yeah, yeah. So when we were in Cuernavaca and we were in language school, uh, Frank and Judy had found a house for us to live in in this neighborhood. But it was a one, one room – it was one room out of cement block. Most of the people in the neighborhood lived in corrugated tar paper houses – with dirt floors, uh, very poor. You could basically say it's a cardboard house neighborhood. Uh, and there was this this house that had a, a cement floor and it belonged to a guy named Wolfrano. And Wolfrano was an old guy who had invaded the land. He actually wasn't poor. He had a house down below. And this is one of the things that happens when the poor get together and invade some land, sometimes uh, middle class or wealthy a little wealthier people will get along with them and try to grab some land. And Wolfrano was, this was the case with him, mm-hmm. but he had this one room and it was probably 12 feet by 12 feet. It was very small. About Explain what you mean by Wolfrano or people like that grabbing the land. What do you mean? Um, there's people that probably live in other neighborhoods that notice that a group of poor people are moving on to land mm-hmm. and trying to establish themselves and they'll move they'll have a family member participate in that and establish themselves on some of the land in the new neighborhood like to use for agriculture for mm-hmm. growing no to build another house to kind okay. of better them their their position in okay. society so okay. so Wolfrano had a house up there um, and he wanted, he was building a house there and he wanted to rent this room. So, uh, I talked with him and about renting the room and, but we had our two daughters and we thought there's no way we're going to fit in a 12 by 12 room with all four of us. And so he had another room that was kind of in the process of being built by, with, uh, rock volcanic rock and so i would go on the weekends after all the, uh, week in language school i would go by bus on the weekends and work on building that room for this house so it would be ready when we moved in there after our two months of language school and that i was so exhausted at the time and i would go and i would stay there and i would use cement and and rocks and I would build this according to uh, Wolfrano would tell me what to do and I would build this room and sure enough after two months when we were ready to move away from Cuernavaca I uh, I had built a room for our daughters it was separated by this little courtyard that was outside so it was like two separate building uh, rooms outside and you had to cross this courtyard to get to it <laughs> a little bit strange uh, but it was we had no bathroom to speak of there was a there were no sewer no nothing in this neighborhood 
we had a hole in the volcanic rock that we put a boards over and we put a um, no one, most people just had a hole in the ground that was their bathroom. We put a, a a bowl for a toilet. We didn't have a tank. There was no tank because we had no water, running water. Mm-hmm. And we put a bowl uh, over this uh, toilet. And that was our toilet. And it really smelled. Yeah. Uh, we would take the water that we used in the house for other things like bathing or dishwashing, and we would pour it down the bowl and clean that would clean out but uh most of the time it was not flushed Mm. and so anyway so we were in Cuernavaca I I learned quite a bit of Spanish in the intensive school Kelly struggled because she was afraid she was afraid to make mistakes with her Spanish and she didn't speak that much but she understood and to this day she understands a lot of Spanish and uh and my kids learned some Spanish, just how kids do, by playing with other kids and learning Spanish. Um, so, what was your what was your purpose and your goal for moving back into the into this, uh, for lack of a better word, this squatter's neighborhood? This um, the goal of the whole year was to understand who the poor were. We had I had studied scripture. And scripture talks about the poor all the time. And so I wanted to connect with and understand who are the poor or what does it mean to be poor and what does that life look like? And so that was the goal. There was no, um, Frank and Judy had a small house church that they were leading and participating in that was about two miles from our house. Okay. Um, These neighborhoods were very young. You could walk a lot of these streets. You could not drive much in them. Uh, the roads were just dirt and a lot of paths. And uh, and so we would participate in the house church, and we would live, basically just lived in our neighborhood and tried to understand what it, life is like for the poor. What would your days be like? Did you Did you work? Did Kelly work? Or? Kelly would take care of the uh, the daughters. I would. Um, the days were different. Some days we would uh, go. There were no real stores in our neighborhood. Some small stores, but no shopping markets or anything. So when we had to do our shopping for the week, it would be like a day trip. We would get on the bus, go down the hill, go shopping, um, and carry all our groceries back, get the bus back. You'd have to make several transfers and go back up the hill. It would take a whole day to just go shopping. Mm. Um, And at the time, Mexico City was very, very polluted. I mean, we were lucky, actually, that we lived up about a thousand feet above the city because in the morning you would wake up you would look down to Mexico City and you would see nothing. You would see this dark, black, gray smoke. You you could look all the way across the valley and see the the volcanoes, the peaks on the other sides, which were often snow covered. It, it was beautiful, but looking down into Mexico City, you could hardly see anything because the smog was so bad. I don't. Most people probably don't know, but Mexico City is is one of the top five or six most populated cities in the world. 
Yes. At, and at the time we lived there, it was the biggest city in the world. It was the 25 million people. And so 25 million people and lots of them driving or a lot of buses. It was, and they had not, uh, their smog, uh, their laws about all of that were really bad. Uh, they ch- have changed that quite a bit since then. But in, I think it was one of the worst times for their pollution in the city. We would go and we would, our lungs would hurt. Our eyes would be red. By, by the time we got back, we felt horrible. And uh, it was like weird that you would live in a city where you feel crappy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But it was it was pretty bad. At night it would clear out, and there was often winds or whatever would clear it out. And at night it was beautiful because we could see all of Mexico City lit up, and we were up above it. And we had the we had a billion dollar view from our toilet. You know, our toilet was surrounded by this little rock wall of volcanic rock and some tar paper. But you could, as you're sitting on the toilet, you could see the whole of Mexico City lit up. And it was actually the most uh, beautiful spot in our in our house. Well, well, overall, I can't think of on the exterior a more miserable situation. Yes, talk about the wrong place. Talk about the wrong place. Uh, it's the wrong place for for gringos. Uh, the wrong place for middle class Americans. But um, I think we we've used a lot of time, and and I have a lot of stories from then of what happened to us and what we learned. But even I'll just share a little bit. When we first got there, even people from the neighborhood there were scolding us for bringing our children there. They're like, why would you bring your children here in this poor neighborhood? Why would you subject them to this poverty? And the, and, and then we would be scolded by people. But I would also go out and visit on a weekly basis um, oh, I didn't get to my schedule, but I would go and visit people. That was one of the things I would do a couple times a week and visit people in these poor houses. And they would be overjoyed that we were there. And they said, we've had gringos here before, but they were always single people. They were never a family. And we're all families that live here. And you brought your family. And they say, we're so thankful that you're that you're here. Bring You brought your family and you're willing to live among us. And, and so other people were overjoyed and some people were scolded us and some people were overjoyed with us. And my kids, they just fit right in. They, they played with the kids next door. They would go out and make in, 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 in America, we make mud uh, pies, right? The kids make mud pies down there. They make mud tortillas. So they would go and make mud tortillas and they would learn Spanish and there were chickens and dogs and and there's so many more stories to share from Mexico City. I think that's a good place to come. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, yeah. That was good. So good. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say, that's, that's all.
Oh, or how about saying that's all from the wrong place at the right time? Okay. That's all from the wrong place at the right time. Perfect.